You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. The Trek Files, Season 11, Episode 14, Writing to Series Budget, May 3rd, 1987. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans. Hey, you Star Trek historians, you you students of making of science. Is that a, is that a term? No, all of you Trekophiles spell with an F are going to love today's uh, episode because we're going to dive into the nuts and bolts of making a show against the historical backdrop of, yes, early roots, next generation. And we're going to deal with a couple of, well, Gene is here because it's a Trek file from the Roddenberry Files. And one of my favorite production people of all time who never has his trumpet trumpeted enough, uh, Mr. Bob Justman. And I've got an awesome guest with us uh, returning for the show tonight to talk about it. So look, I'm talking about two memos from 1987 that are right there on our Facebook page where we keep all the paperwork for this podcast. If you're not familiar, go to facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. It's there posted for you. Now here's an audio sample, but you want to stick around. I'll be right back with this week's guest and a deep dive into, well, just a lot of fun stuff here on this particular topic. Take a listen. The only major areas left are set construction and optical effects. We have made major trims in both of these and are being pressed to reduce them even further. I think that both items are already too low, especially for a first season show. Be that as it may, if we are to have a chance at meeting our budget, certain economies must be affected by our writing staff and the creation of new stories and teleplays. In addition, all stories and teleplays currently being worked on must be revised so that the shows can be approved to go into production. You don't often see truckophiles, spell an F, underlining <laughs> in a show budget for word after word, entire sentences. And, you know, as much as we talk about the late great Bob Justman, uh, he of the handlebar mustache, he of the original series coming back with the think tank to get to get Next Generation launched 20 years later. Can we do this again? And the answer being very much yes. For all of the lessons learned from the original series, uh, you know, Next Generation uh, had chaos on the bridge for one thing, but just getting a show up and running. As we have seen, anytime there's a gap in Star Trek, right, with the motion picture, certainly with uh, Discovery. So here's... Bob and Rick, uh, Bob and Gene, excuse me, talking about uh, budgets and the production of the show and and a call and response on these budgets. It's perfect stuff, great stuff. It's timeless. And I thought, who else to have come talk to me about this? But yes, he's been on the show before. We'd love to welcome back. Hey, long time first AD, second AD, then a first AD from the what do we call it? The Silver Era of Star Trek, the Berman years, uh, uh, Voyager and Enterprise. I know, I know. And now, professor at the New York Film Academy, or NIFA, that's in Los Angeles branch, most successful, he tells me. Mike Demerit, get in here, and thank you so much for joining us again on the Trek Files. I, I like the Berman years. I like that. 
That's that's succinct. <laughs> Except that you know there were so many showrunners during the Berman years that right, there's actually right. temperature change uh, in the Berman years, and you could feel it. And a huge overall evolution, right, in yeah. tech and production. On top of that, yeah, yeah. I mean, you think about it in that span of time, right? We went, we we go all the way from Roddenberry still writing uh, to Manny Cotto. right? Right. So, well, it's a huge stretch, absolutely. Well, and per these documents this week, one of the things that's uh, that popped to mind, and we'll get to it, is on Wanda, one hand, I'm thinking of poor Armus, right? The, the, the skin of evil character that kills Tasha, and how, if you read my companion book, uh, how that was a, a brave concept to the, the oil slick monster, right? Yeah. Basically, basically, in practical terms. And it was all analog. They built it the way they could build it. Yeah. And all the hassles and the melting suit and the the sludge and it is, as bad as it was to film and anybody who touched the, the, the Metamucil and printer's ink and whatever else they put into it. But the stuff was eating away the suit they built for the stunt people to wear yep. where by the end of the day, it was a scramble to just keep shooting. And you know, now that would be nothing and it would probably be a lot cheaper just to digitally build the creature and, or, or have a, have a, have it be like acted, uh, you know, and do the spot a CGI over. Yeah. Tracking suit. Yeah. Yeah, tracking suit. Yeah. So how it would be nothing, but how that was such a pain. And so, but that's an example of how we've evolved, and right. that's also an example of the kinds of things that they were dealing with in in this in this memo, right? If there was a way for email eyes to light up, yours did it. <laughs> this is a rare one. I mean, um, we're in the realm of creatives, right? Uh, and yep. and uh, you know, we're we're not talking about the original series now. This is this is TNG, so this, the power structure exactly. is known. The Rod, it's it's Roddenberry's mm. project, right? And here's Justman, especially at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And here's Justman trying to lay down a law, uh, which is you know financial. And the and the first thing I thought when I read this is like, well, I wonder how uh, a Gene Roddenberry reacted to the tone of this memo. And then the second one you showed me answered that question, which is it's just amazing to have the initial. Um, it, it wasn't we have to work on some things. It was all scripts, all mm -hmm. of you, every one of you, everyone reading this memo, which it has to be all the writers in the writer's room, all y'all, you got to put this thing, <laughs> uh, we got to get this under control. So, you know, no sludge monsters, uh, stop writing heavy makeups that need more makeup and hair and wardrobe and blow the line costs and quit writing 16 sets. You get two swing sets, you know, it's, it, it actually lays it out as to a call to action. And the first three paragraphs just sound like a, you know, a kumbaya. Hey guys, we got to get it together. And then, and then it out, out come the punches. You're all going to do it. It's going <laughs> to happen. And here's some ways it's going to happen. I, I, is this the memo that mentions bottle shows? Um, yes. Yeah. It, I it, think so. Yeah. Page two, right? Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, they put page that. Page two and then even on to page three. Well, page right. three. I'm, and, I, and when I saw that, it's like, they put it into writing. Mm -hmm. Right, and that's not—that's not a thing. Uh, you don't ever <laughs> refer to, uh, you know, what we used to call make good shows uh, as make good shows, right? Make good meaning we're going to make up the budget. We're going to—we're we're off pattern, so we're going to write a story about mm -hmm. two people in an elevator reflecting on what happened last season, and we're going to shoot <laughs> that in two days and beyond budget. And we used to get right. them all the time in the seventies. I'm old enough to remember the sixties and seventies. There'd be those shows. That I noticed they pull out when they redistribute them. They just get rid of them. But they were flashback shows, 
Um, well, no one's ever gotten rid of Shades of Grey, the clip show from the end of season two that was done for that reason, right? Yep. 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 Quick, quick, uh, quick solution to being behind budget overall <laughs> is to do a show fast. Well, if you look at this first memo, he's even saying, don't even like just redress, don't turn a science lab into something else. His number two here on, yeah. the, first, on the first memo. Standing uh, don't set. Don't even redress them. Don't even revamp a standing set. Yeah. You know. Which sure explains why we have so many conversations in the hallways. Right. And turbo lifts. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. Walk and talks. You, you, can, you can imagine some of these scenes were originally somewhere else. You know, and then it was like, well, we can't do that. Okay, then how about walking in the hallway? And there you are. Yes. Right? Yes. I mean, you know, West Wing didn't uh, originate that. It was an homage to Next Generation. We didn't realize that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but West Wing had a set you could go forever. In reality, you know, yeah, if, if I get yeah. in the weeds with you a little bit, um, um, Enterprise is more an homage to West Wing because they built a figure eight a hallway system. Mm -hmm to do what they could do, which is continue to walk far more than it's possible for you to walk to get somewhere. And people just don't notice. So we could walk that figure eight and we were covering, you know, going back over the same turf and nobody really <laughs> noticed. As long as it wasn't too long, nobody noticed. Um, right. and, and that's really one of the things that West Wing was just excellent at, make, making you feel like they were going somewhere when they were walking in a square. You know? Star Trek just had you go from deck two to deck four in a turbo lift ride that took 10 minutes. Yes. That's all. <laughs> hand cranked. It was hand cranked. <laughs> well, even to the point where, and yeah, you're, you've got Bob laying this out and then Gene just basically reiterating his memo. You know, oh, his memo is, yeah, his memo is a shock. Just before we get off Gene's, no more creature shows, right? They must have had a lot yep. of creature shows, right? Uh, and this, this... Or, or in the pipeline, right? Now, yeah. Which is what I'm saying. Armas was into the season. They used that to kill off when, when Denise Crosby wanted to leave. They used that to kill her off. And, and, and that's the first thing that came to mind again as I saw that section because, uh, yeah, so no Hordas, no Mugatus. <laughs> or no more. Uh, you know, they apparently had some, but no more. Stop doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had the little stop motion beasties, right, from Conspiracy. Correct. That was a pain. That was visual effects, but anyway, no, no more live. But you know, the original series were always filled with, you know, they cut the budget, they cut the budget, and we could only have so many, you know, you got one new ship a year. Yeah. Right? Yeah. One year it was the Klingon battle cruise of the year, but you know, they built the shuttlecraft with AMT model kits helping uh, the model in the, in the live action. And it's just a shock to, to realize how 20 years later, with all the promise and the ballyhoo of Next Generation even... They're, they're, back, they're right back there. It's a different scale. There's inflation. Right. They're doing a million and a half instead of a few hundred thousand, but they're still back in that same box million, of- A million of, and a half. You know. That's cheap. Yeah. yeah. Well, by the time you, you add it all if you, up. No, if you see a pattern budget under four now, that's a low budget for sci-fi. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm talking 1987. Sure, 87. They're, yeah. they're still having to compete with Star the effect of the Star Wars decade. Well, that's why they right? exist, right? The Star Wars. So they have to have exactly. they have to have something that has a sense of adventure. Battlestar Galactica, the original, uh, went through the same problem. They spent too much money in the first season, so you kept seeing those Cylon Raiders bank into the right because they couldn't do any more opticals. Uh, it, it just <laughs> that that was, uh, and they had a problem with not, you know trying to stay inside their sets because they 
they had so many different places in their first three episodes that the whole remainder of their first year right. had to be on their sets. And here's TNG suffering through the same problem. It's the, your ambitions are high. And, and here's the thing I don't know that I'd love to know. You know I'd love to sit down with DC Fontana and get an answer to this. Um, there's been a lot of criticism. If you do, tell me. But okay. Yes. There's a lot of criticism <laughs> of the first season of TNG uh, because it imitated a lot of storylines that were TOS. It's like they just, oh, mm-hmm. they took this TOS script and reworked it. But this memo might explain that. There may have been mm-hmm. really ambitious ideas that were in the pipeline and were, and were developing. All of a sudden, it's the stop. Make it simple. And, they, mm-hmm. and they're, now they have to abandon ideas they are developing, and the time doesn't change. You still have to have episode eight ready when episode eight has to shoot. So you now go to something that you know is comfortable and doable because it's been done before. And, and the right. structure becomes safer to go to, so you repeat yourself. And I think the best thing that ever happened to the TNG uh, is that it got second seasoned, uh, and, and that begins, that ends, that practice ends. And I think they got uh, their win, wing, you know, their win back in that time off between the two seasons. Like, okay, if we're going to do it this way, what can we do? And they start realizing they need to have multiple stories, you know, beelines that spread uh, so that you can revisit these same places. You know, we can go back to the Klingon, whatever it is we built in this episode, mm-hmm. this episode, and this episode. And they start thinking about, okay, how can I take this set and turn it into that set so it is more structurally sound, which gives the creatives, I know that you know, we're talking about nuts and bolts here, right? Building sets and but now yeah. the creatives have an opportunity to have structure themselves and work within this limit. It feels like with the date of this, I mean, they're shooting, right? They're already shooting. Well, I was going to say, I was just going to say, just as a timeline, guys. Um, so Farpoint started shooting actually physically. They've been R&D for it. They've been prepping and building and all that. But they started shooting on May 29th through June 25th. So they basically had a month of Farpoint. They took a week off uh, to, re- to retool and think and get their breath. Uh, you know, get get uh, Troy out of the miniskirt, out of the scant, <laughs> other things. Uh, then they started shooting Naked Now, speaking of, that's an homage, though, to the original series. That's an upfront homage, uh, but it's still the same, the same gizmo. Um, they started shooting on uh, July 6th, so they were off and running, you know, July. So this, these are early May, and they're, they've got six or seven or eight shows in the pipeline, but Bob is already starting the... There's some other memos where he's already like, we're going to fall behind. And that was the bugaboo. They were always under the gun in the original series. Yeah. And they missed one. You know, that's why, that's why we have the first two-parter. The Menagerie was they recycled the first, they shot for three or four or five days and got two hours out of one by recycling the footage. Yeah, but that would be, um, they would that's season three day. though, right? That that happens in TOS? No, that was first season. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Huh. The first half season. And, and in, in my head, it's from- much later. Uh, but I did not realize that was the first season that they, they did wait, that. Wait, what in... is it that you teach? What is it that you teach? It if... uh, how you're not producing, stitching. not history. Oh, okay. <laughs> not not Star Trek History 101. Okay, no, I don't do no. history. Um, not the part you lived, but the part before your time. Yeah. No, so they were off and running, and, and Bob was already sounding the call, not just to get scripts done, but when you do them, they have to, they have to, like, I do not, I refuse to relive the 60s. I I think it's between yeah. the subtext of all these lines, between the lines here. Well, well Gene's response on the 11th, right? Because mm-hmm. um, when I read that first memo, I'm like, 
Boy, did Jessamine get screamed at by by Gene Roddenberry? I mean, ha, was there was there an <laughs> argument of like, how dare you do this uh, and, and put this out in print? You know, uh, uh, let let my creators create, get out of my writing room, kind of a thing. Uh, and then you see this response on the eleventh, and the answer is clearly there. No, you know, he was very much <laughs> gonna uh, uh, stand on the side of our budgets are out of control, and we got to get them under control, right? And even even saying a formula, uh, one in five, a bottle a bottle show again being only uh, you know very little if any special effects, visual effects, uh, a very small guest cast, and all the sets be our standing sets, no, no yep. new sets. Yeah, and he's basically saying one in there's a formula here, one in five. And I'm looking at the you know the far point. The same thing happened to DS9. You were talking about DS9 had the huge pilot that went over budget, and then they spent the rest of the season having very contained shows to the point where after everybody said the criticism DS9 was, what's well, the show that didn't go anywhere it's not on a ship. But the way they had to shoot the first season, and the first thing Michael Pillar does is say, well, let's open up season three with the big three-part, go on location, let's try to fight that perception. But there's a case where, you know, the budget drove things, and, and, the, and the pilot is amazing, but they paid for it the entire rest of the first season. Yeah, pilot's the, and, is awesome. Yeah. 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 So um, I'm just looking at the first season episodes here. Naked Now, Code of Honor, Haven, Where No One's Gone Before, The Last Outpost. You know, they're doing the, the, the stage 16 you know, Planet Hill set, maybe, which is still a cost, and they have to you know, revamp it. Lonely Among Us, Justice, which was on location, but that's number nine, and um, I think that, was, that may have been a, a rare, you know, a sop to being able to go on, on location. The Battle, Hide and Q, Too Short a Season, Big Goodbye, which they did splurge on a little bit there with all the 40s, right, and the music. Um, then Data Lore, Angel One, which was a big... It looks like maybe this eased up a little bit. The Binars, 1100-1101, Home Soil. So it's, it's yeah, you, you look at that, but uh, you're, to your point about the early SOP against TNG was retreading TOS yeah. episodes at yeah. times. And I and with and with this knowledge, you begin to. I mean, look, they're, they're saying you know, look for stories that won't require us to go on location for more than one day, every other show. That's yes. that's commandment number five of of Gene's nine commandments, <laughs> right? And and uh and that that is not too far off from the pattern that would stay, uh, in place. Uh, we, right. we would go on location. It's usually uh, one or two days. You know every two episodes. And if you had three episodes where you didn't go on location, you knew there was one coming where you had four. Right. So, right. Right. So it was always, there was always a balance, a conscious balance that has to go all yeah. the way back to this memo. And they would tend to clump at the very beginning of the shoot season, like April, May, June ish, July, and then at the very end and, and stay out of outdoors during the winter, you know, the rainy season and the bad weather and the cold, the gray months. Even in Los Angeles or SoCal. Well, especially then when the yeah, weather was yeah, normal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I get... Oh, go ahead. I'm, I, one of the things, though, I also think you, that is part of that pattern has nothing to do with, with weather. We're less afraid of weather, you know, in, in California. It has more to do with sweeps, uh, which don't exist anymore. Oh, right. Right? So you had to right. have your, your, the shows that were being... Look how good... Yeah, the one that we're getting good here... That makes you want to come into sweeps, and then the sweeps ones you always put your best product during sweeps period when they when they really you know electronically looked at those Nielsen households and what they were watching 
much closer than the booklets they were getting the rest of the time because the sweeps numbers were were more accurate than the book numbers right. where people could lie you know uh right. so there's they were very conscious of sweeps until you know dvr comes along and makes them pretty much unnecessary right and then streaming makes them even more unnecessary but yeah sweeps meaning yep the sweep months where you, where they would take the really intense ratings and that would determine and those would also set the the ad rates uh, for the next quarter or th- like they're three times a year, like in the fall yep. and then yep. spring and then maybe a summertime. So it was like October, November, and then February. So if you look at the, when are your huge guest stars? <laughs> when oh, are your big up. epic yeah. shows? You know, those are the sweeps. Like when was Leonard on, uh, you know, Unification? When was Leonard Nimoy on Next Generation? Well, it was the fall sweeps and was also setting up Star Trek Six, you know, like for the holidays, but also yeah. look at those shows and that's when, you know, they were geared to. Very, um, very anyway, much. The, yeah. Yeah. I guess the big takeaway here is, is what's funny is look, I mean, basically Gene just, you were, you were thinking would, would Bob get yelled at yeah. uh, for being the bearer of bad news? He's basically taken his, uh, his bullet points and, and most like 90% of it is exactly the same writing. He's just echoed it and put his own stamp on it. So without the drama of the demand at the beginning. But in the, but in so, the uh, world, okay. <laughs> in the world of, of, uh, particularly pre-production uh, where where the kings are designed and the kings are are authors writers, um, <laughs> and they're they're like the triumvirate that forms everything. Um, this is the the second memo. The first memo could be like, oh, there's that producer wanting it. cut 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 all the time. <laughs> you could just right. sort of go like, oh, there's Bobby and Bob, and you just sort of go like, he's a money guy. But when Gene Roddenberry has a memo that says all concerned. This is what's going to happen. This is this has much more. Oh, they mean it. It's sort of like a, a first AD a, a director's relationship in production, where the first AD has absolutely no power at all. Uh, it's all on loan from the producers and the director. Uh, if the director says, "Why aren't you listening to my first AD?" the crew starts to listen. If the director doesn't listen to the first AD, nobody listens. Right. So it's sort of. I feel it's like that relationship. Here's a guy, you know, waving a flag saying, "We're over budget." And then here's Gene Roddenberry turning around and, and saying, we are over budget. And this the voice of the second memo, to me, is far more stronger. And we're in the very early day. We haven't even started shooting the pilot yet. And we're, uh, or, or we're just, yeah, we're, we're barely there. Barely, right, yeah. The every, they're looking at the shows coming out. The pilot, they're committed. You know, the money's committed at right. this point. Right, but I mean, there's nobody has even gone before a camera yet. We're still two weeks away from being on camera, even. Yeah, and 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 they're thinking of the rest of the season, but they've got to they've got to survive that long. Oh my gosh, Mike, it's so great to have you on. Hey, 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 one thing, take a look, take a look at this right at the bottom. What? Look who's CC'd on that memo. Oh yes, yeah. there you go. Yeah, just all your all well, all your writing staff and the immediate producers yeah. dealing with them. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. you know he he's telling everyone, ah, such good, such a good memo. Now most now most of these people, with the exception of Maury Hurley, would be gone <laughs> within six months. But there you go. Uh, no Herb. Well, yeah, Herb, Herb left after the year. Anyway, well, not Rick. No, so not I Rick. Love, I love that. No, no, yeah, not Rick. I mean, of the, of the writing staff, the yeah, writer writers. That's yeah. true. Anyway, Mike, it's so much fun to get into this, get into the weeds like this, and talk and uh, and have those that come and go memo. You know, the call and response side by side like that. Listen, I'd love to have you back on sometime. We'll do this again soon, okay? All right. 
The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, and all of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. Now for more deep diving of Star Trek like this behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. Yeah, that's me at larrynimichek.com, where you can also link in for all of our Trek Files swag and shirts too at our Tee Public shop. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.